And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction of prepositions, a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, we'll visit 221B Baker Street for another detective adventure with Sherlock Holmes from 1948. Then Jack Benny and all his gang are headed to New York on part one of the Jack Benny program from 1950. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, what's going on? How are you? Good. Glad to be here at Hollywood 360. Oh, yeah, it is? Yeah. Oh, good. Are it's you glad to be here? a little warmer out today. We're in Chicago, so we kind of get... Uh, cold at this time of year, but it's it's warmed up a little bit. It's so. very foggy out there, though. It's foggy, is right. There's also a lot of fog in London, and that's where we're headed for our first broadcast here of Sherlock Holmes. This is a broadcast going back to 1948. Of course, Sherlock Holmes was created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and it was first heard on NBC Radio in 1930, but by 1939, Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce were simultaneously starring in a popular series of Sherlock Holmes movies for Fox and later Universal. And then Tom Conway took over in the mid-1940s on radio, but Nigel Bruce stayed on and received top billing. That's as if, like, I left the show, Lisa, and somebody else came in, and then you took top billing on the show. Oh, that would be awful, Carl. That would just be <laughs> be great for you. That would be just, no. Your would... pay raise, it'd be wow, way up there, right? Well, yeah, I would take over your, oh, your money. So instead of making 14 cents an hour... You'd make 38 cents an hour. Well, hey, every bit counts right Right, here. Mike? Absolutely. Yeah. In 1947, John Stanley and Alfred Shirley were heard as uh, Holmes and Watson. And then in a BBC version, John Gielgud and Sir Ralph Richardson were Holmes and Watson. But we have a broadcast now starring John Stanley and Alfred Shirley from May 30th, 1948. This is called A Case of Identity. Here's part one of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and 1,036 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. This week's adventure, A Case of Identity. Well, here we are, as usual, about to pay our weekly respects to our favorite rock and tour, the good Dr. Watson. What about tonight's story, Doctor? Well, tonight I have prepared a little challenge for you and our radio friends. Yes, the story I'm going to tell is one of Holmes' more mental adventures. It has its bizarre moments, of course, but still, all in all, its solution is fairly obvious. 
As you know, Holmes was the world's greatest master of the science of deduction. As a matter of fact, he unraveled this particular problem without moving from his armchair. Hmm. I wonder how many of our listeners have learned enough of Holmes' methods to do the same. Well, I think I can make a fair stab at it, Doctor, if the clues aren't too involved, that is. Oh, no, no. All the clues are right out in plain sight, Mr. Harris. All you have to do is listen for them and make your own deductions. It was <clears throat> during the middle years of our joint occupancy of the lodgings in Baker Street. Holmes and I sat relaxed in two easy chairs on either side of the living room fire. Holmes' long legs stretched out in front of him, his head wreathed in the smoke from his favorite pipe, a horrible black, greasy old clay affair that he coddled as if it were a child. Robbie had just finished an excellent breakfast, and Holmes was in the philosophic mood that so often accompanies the process of digestion. Strange thing, life, eh, Watson? Infinitely stranger than anything the mind of man could invent. Yes, I know that's one of your pet theories, and I dare you to put it to the test. Now, take today's paper. If you, if you can find anything bizarre in that, I'll, I'll buy you a new smoking jacket. I don't want a new smoking jacket, Watson, but I'll take up your challenge. Choose any article, any paragraph at all on this page, and I'll guarantee to find something outlandish. Very well. Here. Take the very first heading. Husband's cruelty to his wife. Now, there's a half column of print about that, but I know what it's about almost without reading it. There's the other woman, the drink, the push, the blow. <laughs> No writer could invent anything more crude or commonplace. Your example, Watson, happens to be rather unfortunate. The husband was a teetotaler. There was no other woman, and the cruelty complained of was that he had the habit of winding up every meal by taking out his false teeth and hurling them at his wife, which you'll allow is an action any literary man would hardly be able to make believable. Well, maybe so, but that's just an exception. Life is made up of exceptions, Watson. There's one now standing on the pavement on the opposite side of the street. You mean that large, hebe-like young woman with the enormous boa around her neck and the curling red feather in the hat? Yes. <laughs> well, look how she oscillates backward and forward and the way she fidgets with her glove buttons. Oscillation on the pavement always means an affair de coeur. She would like advice, but it's not sure that the matter may not be too delicate for communication. Mm, she's de decided to take the plunge. Here she comes across the road like a swimmer leaving the bank. I say perhaps she's been... Seriously wrong. No, Watson. In that case, the woman no longer oscillates. She pulls out the bell wire to the front door. You hear that, Watson? Decidedly fluttery. The maiden is not so much angry as perplexed and possibly grieved. Oh, but here she comes. Come in, come in. I... I hope I'm not intruding. Uh, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the detective. Yes. Won't you sit down? Uh, this is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Pleased to meet you. Oh, delighted. My dear young lady, don't you find that with your short sight it's a little trying to do so much typewriting? Oh, I did it first, and that's a fact. But I've got so now I know where the letters are without look... Oh. oh, but how did you know? Someone's told you about me. Oh, don't look so alarmed, my dear. That's just a bit of detection. Mr. Holmes can tell things like that by looking at you. It's uh, his way of showing off. Oh, I... I see, but it did take me aback your knowing things like that. It's my business to know things. I knew you used the typewriter from the appearance of your fingertips and the double line pressed into the plush above your wrists. It was equally obvious that you're nearsighted from the marks left on either side of the nose by your pince-nez. So you see, my dear Miss, uh, Miss, uh... uh my name's Sutherland, uh, Mary Sutherland. So you see, my dear Miss Sutherland, there's nothing terrifying in my conclusions. Well, no, not when you explain it like that. 
And now, perhaps you'll tell me why you came away to consult me in such a hurry that you managed to put on two odd shoes. Why, bless my soul, so I did. The right one's my Sunday pair. Yes, you must have been rather agitated when you left home. Yes, I did bang out of the house, and who wouldn't? It made me very angry to see the easy way Mr. Windybanks, oh, that's my father, took it all. He wouldn't go to the police. He just sat there and said there was no harm done and everything would come right in the end. So finally I got mad and told Father I was coming to you myself. Uh, you say your father, but surely you mean your stepfather, since the name's not the same. Yes, he's my stepfather. Mother makes me call him Father, though it sounds kind of funny, him being only five years and two months older than myself. I see. How recently did your mother marry this Mr. Windybanks? Oh, about two years ago it was, Mr. Holmes. And I'll admit I wasn't very pleased seeing as it was so soon after father's death, and him a man nearly 15 years younger than herself. Enough to start complications in any home. Hey, Holmes? Quite. But uh, please continue, Miss Sutherland. I gather your father left your mother fairly well off. Yes, sir, he did. You see, father was a plumber in Tottenham Court Road, and he left a tidy business behind him. After he went, mother carried it on, although I must say that William, oh, that is, uh, Mr. Hardy, father's foreman, did most of the work. And a good thing he made of it, too. This Mr. Hardy, was he your father's age? Oh, no, sir. He was just two years older than me. The fact is, we had a sort of an understanding till this year Mr. Windybanks came along. Oh, and he didn't approve of Mr. Hardy? Oh, it weren't that so much as that he didn't approve of the plumbing business. Said it wasn't high class. Oh. Uh, Mr. Windybanks is a very superior gentleman himself, Mr. Holmes. Travels in wines for West House and Marbank, the Claris importers in 10 Church Street. Oh, a real toff he is. I see. Yes, sir. So, after him and mother got married, he made us sell the business. They got £4,700 for the goodwill and the interest. But Mr. Hardy said it was practically giving it away. And so, him and my stepfather had an argument. And my stepfather told Will to clear out and never darken his door again. Hmm, quite theatrical. Yes, my stepfather's like that. Well, Will says he's off to Birmingham. And will I come with him? And I says, well, I can't hardly be expected to leave me own mother. So then he gets mad and biffs off. Without giving you a chance to change your mind? Well, yes. And how is he doing in Birmingham? Very nicely, I hear. Got his own shop and all. Oh, not that I write to him. I wouldn't send him a word if I was dying, I wouldn't. Of course. Serves him right for not being more persuasive. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, but that's neither here nor there, Mr. Holmes. The fact is, I, I, I don't know why I even mentioned Will Hardy. Except that I'm so unset in my mind, my tongue kind of wags on by itself. Uh, oh, let's see here. Where was I? Your mother had just sold the plumbing business for something over 4000 You inherited part of that, I presume? Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I've got my own money, outside of the plumbing business, that is. Oh? It was left to me by my Uncle Ned in Auckland. It's in New Zealand stock, paying me 4%. Gives me £100 a year, it does. Then the capital amounts to around £2,500. Yes, sir. But I can't touch that. Just the income. Hmm, quite a tidy little amount. I believe a single lady can do very nicely on £60 a year. Oh, I could do on even less than that, Mr. Holmes. I'm a good one at managing things. But so long as I live at home, I don't want to be a burden to them. So I let them have the use of it while I'm staying there. You mean you give the money to Mr. Windybanks? Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I draws it out every quarter and pays it over to my mother. That's very generous of you, Miss Sutherland. Oh, it's no hardship. I, I do pretty well with what I earn at typewriting. Makes me quite self-supporting, as you might say. Yes, these independent modern young women. Soon they'll be competing with men in business. Oh, no, sir. I'm sure I wouldn't presume to be as bold as that. Hmm. 
Well, to resume, we find you are a young lady very comfortably fixed. Well, I, I'm not exactly rich, Mr. Holmes, but I'd give all I have to know what's become of Mr. Hosmer Angel. Hosmer Angel, eh? Quite a romantic name. Oh, yes. And he was romantic, Mr. Holmes. Recited Browning, he did. Sounds quite devoted. Oh, yes, sir, he was. I could swear he was. And now he's gone, too. Disappeared like into thin air. And naturally, I'm, I'm anxious about him, being as it's the second time I've been left in the lurch, as you might say. I, well, I, I feel a bit sensitive about it. Of course. Had you quarreled? Oh, no, sir. We was as affectionate as two cooing doves. Mother said it used to make her quite sick to watch us. Oh, oh not that she wasn't all for Hosmer. That she was. Helped me to keep it from father and all. Oh, then your father didn't know about this new admirer. No, sir. That is, not until later. And then he never really saw him. Mm. And how did you first meet this Mr. Hosmer Angel? Uh, well, Mr. Holmes, I, I... I met him at the gas fitter's ball. How romantic. Oh, yes, sir, it was. The gas fitters used to send father tickets while he was alive. And afterwards, they kept on sending them to me and mother. Mr. Windybanks didn't wish us to go. He never did wish us to go anywhere. If I so much as wanted to go to a Sunday school treat, he would get quite mad about it. Rather unreasonable. Yes, sir. Well, it happened that the week of the ball, he had to go to France on business. So he wasn't there to make a scene when Mother and me went. <gasps> it was a lovely ball, Mr. Holmes. I wouldn't have missed it for anything. It, it was there I met Hosmer. He was a lovely dancer. You should have seen him do the polka. Swept you quite off your feet, I've no doubt. Yes, sir. Well, he called next day to see if Mother and I had got home safe the night before. And after that, I went out once or twice for walks with him. And, and things was going along as smooth as you could wish. And then Father came home and Hosmer couldn't come to the house anymore. No? No, sir. Father didn't like me to have young men come to the house. Said it didn't look well for a young girl to have followers. Hmm, rather a tyrant, eh? Oh, yes. But pretty soon, he had to go off to France again for a couple of weeks. So I started walking out with Hosmer again. And this Hosmer made no attempts to see you in the meantime? No, sir. I wanted to, but Mother said she didn't think it was safe. Oh, he wrote to me every day, Hosmer did. Oh, here, I, I, I brought the letters. I thought they might give you a clue. Quite right. We'll look them over later. Am I to take it that you and Mr. Angel had um, an understanding? Yes, sir. We were engaged after the first walk we took together. <laughs> Fast worker, eh, Holmes? Watson, don't interrupt. What was Mr. Angel's business, Miss Sutherland? Uh, he was a cashier in an office in Leadenhall Street. What office? Oh, that's the worst of it, Mr. Holmes. I don't know. Where did he live, then? Oh, he slept on the premises. And you don't know his address? No, sir. Except that it was Leadenhall Street. Where did you address your letters? Uh, Leadenhall Street Post Office, to be left till called for. He said if they was to come to the office, he'd be ragged by the other clerk. I offered to typewrite them like he did his, but he wouldn't have that. Said that when I wrote them myself, it seemed like there was something of me in them. That'll show you how fond he was of me, Mr. Holmes. He was always thinking of little things like that. Yes, quite suggestive. Can you remember any other little things about Mr. Hosmer Angel? Any little peculiarities? He was a very shy man, Mr. Holmes. He'd rather walk with me in the evening than in the daylight. Because he said he liked to hold my hand. But he didn't want to be conspicuous. Very considerate and gentlemanly. Oh, yes, sir. He was a thorough gentleman with the silkiest brown beard. Even his voice was soft-like. 
He told me he'd had quinsy and swollen glands when he was young, and it left him with a weak throat. How unfortunate. Yes, sir. His eyes were kind of weak, too, like mine, and he wore tinted glasses against the glare. I'd say he was about five foot five and had small hands and feet. I see. And what happened when Mr. Windybanks, your stepfather, returned to France? Well, I wrote Hosmer and he came round to the house. And he said I'd have to marry him before father came back, as he couldn't stand the separation any longer. So I asked mother and she said, why not? Every girl was entitled to her own husband. Well, mother was all for Hosmer from the beginning, almost more than I was myself. So you got married? Well, no. Well, that is... Not quite. Oh, what happened? Well, the wedding was set for yesterday morning. We thought it best to make it a quiet ceremony. It was to be at St. Saviour's Church, with a wedding breakfast afterwards at the St. Pancras Hotel. Well, about nine o'clock, Mother and me was all dressed and waiting for Hosmer. I was a bit upset, I guess. You know how a bride feels, Mr. Holmes. I'm that nervous, I, I don't know whether I ought to get married or not. Don't you fret, Mary. All brides is like that. Why, when I was married to your father, I was so jumpy, I split both me gloves. Oh, I know, but I haven't known Hosmer very long, Mother. Maybe I oughtn't to jump off the deep end like this. What's the good of waiting, Mary? Better get married now before your father gets back. Yes, I, I suppose so. Oh, dear me, I, I wish my shoes wasn't so tight. Shh, here comes Hosmer now. Don't he look handsome with that flower in his buttonhole and all? Uh, no, you stay here, Mary. I'll answer it. A bride should act shy-like on a wedding day. Good morning, Osma, as the groom. Good morning, uh, Mother. Oh, I'm fine. Uh, hello, Mary. <laughs> hello, Osma. What's the matter? You look kind of white. Oh, I'm, I'm all right. How are you? Oh, I, I'm all right, too, Osma. Well, we... We'd better be shoving off. i got a handsome waiting outside. Oh, but Hosmer, it's such a little way, and handsome's is expensive. Oh, you don't think that any bride of mine is going to walk on her wedding day? Now, who can that be? Hosmer, you're as full of jumps as a kangaroo. Now I'll go. What is it? <gasps> telegram. Oh, thank you. It's a telegram. M maybe somebody's died. I'm almost afraid to look. But here, let me. I'm uh, used to these things. Expect me home today. Erasmus G. Windybanks. Father! Father's coming home. What if he gets here before... Now, <laughs> don't lose your nerve. You're of age, remember, so it don't matter how he raves afterwards. Oh, Mary, promise you won't let him uh, tear us apart. No, no. Swear it, Mary. Uh, where's the Bible? Mary's carrying mine, the one I got married with. Both times. All right. Now, put your left hand on that Bible and swear that whatever happens, you will always be true to me and to me only. But, but what could happen? Oh, you never know. Now, swear it, Mary, for my sake. Swear it. Yes, Mary. Why not do as Osmer asks? All right. I, I, I swear. Oh, good. Now then, let's get on with it. Yes, Osmer. Oh, dear. Is my bonnet on straight? Yes, yes. Only hurry. Mr. Windybanks may get back any minute. Mary, don't forget your flowers. No, Mother. Well, hurry, hurry. Now, here's the cab. You first, uh, Mother. Now, easy, don't upset the cab. Now, Mary. That's right. Aren't you coming too, Hosmer? Uh, no, there isn't room. I'd must your dress. Uh, I'll hail another cab. Oh, yes, there's a four-wheeler now. Hey, cabby! Now, you go on. I'll follow after. See you at the church, Hosmer. 
That's San Savio's driver. Yes? Osma got the other cab. It's falling up. Oh, my, my knees are knocking together like anything. Now, hush up, Mary. Anyone would think you didn't want to get married. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Well, just hold your breath and it'll be over in no time now. Here's the church. You get out first and mind your dress. That's it. Now, now, help me. Yeah, not so fast. I'm no blinking acrobat. That's it. Here you are, Cabby. Oh, here comes Hosmer's four-wheeler now. Saviour's like yes, but... Why doesn't he get out? Give him time. Maybe his knees is shaky, too. Come on, sir. What ails the man? Mother, something's wrong with Hosmer. Oh, I'm going to see. Wake up there. I'll speak to him, Cabby. What? The cab's empty. What? Something's happened to Hosmer. He's gone and left me waiting at the church. That's the first portion of Sherlock Holmes. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. A shameful way for any gentleman to act. Deserting his bride at the altar. Oh no, Dr. Watson, I'm sure he didn't do that. Not on purpose, that is. He was too kind for that. And then there's that pledge I gave him. Oh, you think he foresaw some unforeseen danger and that's why he made you take the oath? Yes, sir. Have you any notion what it could have been? No, sir. How did your father take it? I presume he found out. Oh, yes, sir. He was quite consoling, really. Remarkable. Oh, it drives me half mad to think of it, Mr. Holmes. It's not as if it was the first time I'd been disappointed. I understand. I shall be delighted to glance into the matter for you, Miss Sutherland. Now, let me advise you to turn the whole matter over to me, and don't let your mind dwell on it any further. Above all, try to let Mr. Hosmer Angel vanish from your memory, as he's done from your life. Then you... you, you don't think I'll ever see him again? I'm afraid not. Oh, dear me. <laughs> You've been very kind, Mr. Holmes, I'm sure. I, I don't know how to thank you. Not at all, Miss Sutherland. Well, good day, gentlemen. Oh... Where's my hanky? Oh, here it is. Oh, dearie me. Another romance blighted. Holmes, what a horrid mess of bottles and test tubes. Yes, smells of hydrochloric acid. Marvellous, my dear Watson, marvellous. I don't believe you've budged out of this room since that poor young lady left early this morning. No, it wasn't necessary. Then you've solved it? Certainly. It was bisulfate of baritone. No, I mean the mystery of the disappearing bridegroom. Oh, that. There never was any mystery in that affair, Watson. Pretty self-evident, don't you think? No, can't say I do. Oh, Really? But I let you look at Mr. Hosmer's love letters. But they were typewritten, even to the signature. Yes, that's what's really suggestive. Now, what's that? Mr. Windybanks, I fancy. Well, you mean the girl's father, uh, stepfather? Quite. I sent off a note to him this morning to his place of business. 
But I must say, Holmes. And you... this afternoon, I received this business-like reply on West House and Marbank stationery, saying he'd be here at six o'clock. Come in, come in. Ah, Mr. Windybanks. Yes, Mr. Holmes. This typewritten note was from you, on which you set the time for this appointment at six o'clock. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I'm afraid I'm a trifle late. It's about Miss Sutherland's missing suitor, eh? Quite. Oh, I'm sorry she's troubled you, Mr. Holmes. But you know what young girls are. Besides, it's a useless expense. Because how in the name of this and that can you expect to locate Hosmer Angel? Uh, pardon me if I disagree with you, Mr. Windybanks, but I have every reason to believe that I have located Mr. Hosmer Angel. Uh, oh, oh, delighted, Mr. Holmes, delighted. Yes. I wonder if anyone's ever told you that a typewriter has really quite as much individuality as a man's handwriting. Oh, you don't say. Oh, but I most emphatically do. Every typewriter develops its own little idiosyncrasies. Now, this note of yours, Mr. Windybanks, you'll notice that all the E's are slightly slurred and there's a slight defect in the tail of the R. Yes, yeah, I never noticed it before. Hmm, obviously. Now, I have here four letters which purport to come from the missing man. In all of them, the E's are slurred and the R's tailless. Well, uh, I didn't come here to waste time with fantastic talk like this. If you're going to catch the man, catch him. And let me know when you succeed. Certainly. Watson, be good enough to lock the door. With pleasure. Now then, Mr. Windybanks, I have caught Mr. Hosmer Angel, because you yourself are that gentleman. But I... Well, well, what if I am? I didn't marry the girl, did I? It's, uh, it's not actionable. No, your conduct is even worse than that. It's dishonorable and degrading. In the first place, you're the sort of scoundrel who marries an older woman for her money. Not satisfied, you want to assure yourself of the daughter's income, which you'll lose if she marries. You'll make her break off with her first sweetheart. And when you see it's going to be impossible to keep others from falling in love with her, you arrange to do so yourself. Well, it was only a joke at first. I failed to see any humor in it. Well, I, I didn't know she'd fall for me like that, did I? You made the girl swear she'd be true and wait for you. And then you played the cad and disappeared. Well, maybe so, or maybe not. But I'm not breaking any laws. And as long as you keep that door locked... Quite so. Should you care to call a policeman? There's one in the street below. I'm sure your employer, Mr. Merrill Marbanks, who, by the way, is an old friend of mine, will be very interested in your little joke. Oh, no, 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 Mr. Holmes. You, you couldn't tell him. I, I'd lose my job and my, my, my social standing. Quite so. I'll keep quiet on one condition. Oh, yes, yes, sir. Anything at all. You are not to discourage any more of Miss Mary's suitors, past, present, or future. Oh, oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I wouldn't think of it. It was all just a little game, you see. Yes. Well, the game's over. Watson, you may show the gentleman out. Right. Now then. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, good day, gentlemen. I hope you won't hold any hard feelings, Mr. Holmes. And if you ever... Come along, or loitering, or I'll boot you downstairs. I'm a good man to do it anyway. I'm going. I'm going. Filthy blackguard. I see, but I... I still don't see how you spotted the man. That typewritten letter, Watson, particularly the signature. Obviously, the man wanted to disguise his handwriting, which would have been familiar to the girl. Well, whose handwriting would have been familiar to her? Answer, the father's, as he was the only man she was allowed to come in contact with. No, it's really quite simple when you explain it. Oh, by the way, are, are you going to tell the girl? I? <laughs> no, heaven forbid. I shall let Mr. Will Hardy of Birmingham have that privilege. I wrote him the facts of the case this morning. No, he'll be able to persuade her to believe it. I never could. Holmes, you're a moral coward. Perhaps, Watson. You remember the old Persian saying, There's danger for him who taketh the cub of the tiger, and danger also for whoso snatches a delusion from a woman.
Now then, Mr. Harris, did you guess the solution? Well, when Holmes began to talk about typewriters, I started to have an inkling, Doctor. But before that, I'll admit I was pretty much at sea. Why, Mr. Harris, I'm surprised. And after all my teaching... (laughs) The makers of Clippercraft clothes and 1036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Meiser. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran, with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in The Complicated Poisoning on Eel Pie Island. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clippercraft Clothes. This is the network for the Indianapolis Speedway races on Monday, the Mutual Broadcasting System. And that's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes from May 30th, 1948, with a case of identity starring John Stanley and Alfred Shirley. That was sponsored by Clipper Craft Clothes. That's where Mike has his clothes made. He has his own tailor over there at Clipper Craft Clothes. I sure do. That was heard on Mutual. All right, in just a few minutes, we're going to tune into the Jack Benny program. But I want to remind all of our listeners that we have surprise boxes for you. Are you ready for this, folks? If you go to Hollywood360radio.com and you click there, you will see a pop-up, a pop-up that will tell you all about three surprise boxes. You can get Surprise Box 1, which is all classic radio in there on CD. Then Surprise Box 2 is classic television and movies on DVD. And then Surprise Box 3 is the Twilight Zone radio dramas on CD. Now, here's the great thing. You buy any one of these surprise boxes, it's only $39.99, and you get $150 worth of brand new products. Still in the cellophane. We have tons of classic radio shows available to you on CD. We have tons of uh, DVDs of movies and television shows. And we have the Twilight Zone radio dramas hosted by Stacy Keach on CD as well in Surprise Box 3. So just go to Hollywood360radio.com. And when you go there, you'll see a pop-up, learn all about it. And I think you will absolutely love it. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com and check it out. And also, when you're at our website, scroll down a little, and you will see now we have an app. If you're into apps... For old-time radio, this is the app for you. Download it either from the Apple Store or from the Google Store. And here's the best part. You get 10 free classic radio shows as part of that app. Now, I know, Lisa, you just downloaded it, right? I did. I did it last night, and I checked it out today, and it's working like a charm. It's working. You're listening to your 10 free That's classic radio Benny shows. this morning. And then within the app, you can purchase other shows, but you do get 10 Absolutely free. Just go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. Just click either on the Apple Store or the Google Store. It'll take you right to the store. Download the free app. I hope you enjoy our new app that we've just developed for all of our listeners out there in Radio Land. All right, time now for the Jack Benny program. Let's go back to January 29, 1950. 
This is a trip to New York, Jack Benny and all the gang, part one of the Jack Benny program. The Jack Benny program, transcribed. Starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, in a few hours, Jack Benny and his entire troupe leave for New York to start off the campaign for the National Heart Fund. So now, let's go out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. Well, Rochester, it won't be long before we're all packed and on our way to New York. Yeah, that lovely suburb of Harlem. (laughs) Hey, Rochester, did you cancel the newspaper and leave a note for the milkman? I haven't had time, boss. I've been answering the phone all morning. The phone? Uh-huh. Luella Parsons, George Fisher, Sheila Graham, Hedda Harper, they all called. You know, Rochester, when you're a big star like I am, you can't make a move without the columnist knowing about it. I don't know, boss. They sure were surprised when I told them you were leaving for New York. Surprise? Why? They didn't know you were back from Europe. <laughs> well, that I can't understand at all. Rochester, if those columnists didn't know I was back from Europe, why did they call the house? To verify a rumor. What rumor? They heard you were switching to CBS. <laughs> what? But yesterday, Erskine Johnson scooped them all. He did? Yeah, he found out you were the walking man. (laughs) Look at Rochester. That was three years ago. Well, you know how it is, boss. When you're a big star, you can't make a move without everybody knowing about it. (laughs) I guess so. Well, Rochester, have you got all my things packed? Uh Uh-huh. You know, boss, it's great to be a radio star. You get to travel a lot and see so many different places. Well, I do get around a lot, but nobody travels as much as Bob Hope. He's the only man I know who keeps the change of underwear in his wallet. (laughs) He has to unzip and then unbutton to get to a dollar bill. (laughs) Not only that... Boss, you haven't got time for a routine. (laughs) That's right. Now, Rochester, don't forget to write a note to the milkman telling him we'll be gone for a couple of weeks. Yes, sir. Uh, By the way, the man from the pet shop called about the parrot. He said the lowest he can keep her for is 75 cents a day. Shall I take Polly over to him? No, no, I already took Polly to another place. She'll be well-fed and cared for. Good, good. Now put this in the desk and be sure it doesn't get lost. When we get home, we'll need to to get Polly back. Boss, a pawn ticket. She'll be fed and well cared for. That's the law. And Rochester, put this $2 in the same envelope with the pawn ticket. $2? Is that all the pawnbroker gave me for Polly? I would have got more if she kept her mouth shut. (laughs) Stupid parrot. (laughs) Now, Rochester, write that note to the... I'll get it. Hello? Hiya, Jackson. You all set to bounce down at the station to make with that choo-choo to the big town. This is Phil. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you told me. You know, when I picked up the phone and a voice said, Hiya, Jackson, are you all set to bounce down to the station and make with the choo-choo to the big town? I was sure it was Anthony Eden. (laughs) Phil, are you packed? Yes, sir. I'm taking three trunks, four handbags, and five valises, and they're all full. How come you're taking so many clothes? Clothes? Holy smoke, I knew I forgot something. (laughs) 
Oh, for heaven's sake. Phil, you're the only guy I know whose luggage has labels inside and out. <laughs> Why take all that liquor to New York? They're short of water. Well, gotta have something to bathe in. Well, Phil, if you're gonna bathe in it, I wish you'd take champagne. I can't think of anything more exciting than Phil Harris sitting in a bathtub surrounded by millions of dancing bubbles. Gad, what an idea for a calendar. Yeah. Well, Phil, I haven't got much time. What'd you call for? I want to ask you, Jackson, is it all right if I take Sammy, my drummer, along? Sammy, your drummer? Well, what do you want to take him to New York for? Well, he's been corresponding with a girl there, and he'd, he'd like to get married. Oh, oh, childhood sweethearts? No, no, they met through a Lonely Hearts Club. Oh. He sent her a picture of Clark Gable, she sent him a picture of Lady Ashley, and it was love at first sight. <laughs> Gee, that's sweet. But, Phil, when they meet each other, won't they be disappointed? What do you mean? Well, I don't know what the girl looks like, but Sammy, your drummer, certainly doesn't look like Clark Gable. Oh, I don't know, Jackson. Paint a little hair on his head, put a mustache on him, and you can't tell the difference. <laughs> you mean between him and Gable? No, between him and the girl. <laughs> Well, Phil, if Sammy wants to go to New York to get married, you can take him with you. Bless you, Cupid. <laughs> all right, all. Now, when you get on the train, see that all of your... Wait a minute, Jackson, wait a minute. Hey, you, can't you hear the buzzer? Go answer the door! Now, what were you saying, Jackson? <laughs> Phil, who are you talking to? Alice. Now, what were you talking about? <laughs> wait a minute. Huh? Phil. Phil, does Alice let you talk to her like that? Jackson, as long as I talk to her, she's happy. <laughs> well, now I've heard everything. So long, Jackson. Goodbye, beautiful. <laughs> well, there is the biggest ham I've ever known in my life. If he was half as good as he thinks he is, he'd be twice as good as he is. Now, Rochester, we... oh, what kind boss. of a joke was that I just said? got one lousy joke, and that's no good. <laughs> now, Rochester, we better start with... Say, the... boss, what? while you're on the phone, Mr. Wilson and the sportsman quartet came in. Oh, hello, Don. Hello, Jack. Mm. Hiya, boys. Say, Don, are you all packed and ready to go? I sure am. Well, it won't be long before we... Don? Don, what have you got under your coat? Oh, it's nothing, Jack. But, Don, I see a little bulge around your waist. Now, open your coat. Well, all right. Well, what do you know? A trunk. <laughs> See, I remember their ad. Oshkosh luggage, curved to fit your stomach. <laughs> Don, how come you stopped by here? If you've got any spare time, you should be working on a commercial for New York. Well, that's why we dropped in, Jack. We've got a terrific idea for a commercial. For New York? Yeah, get this. Take it, boys. is for the neon lights on Broadway. E is for the elevated train. And how they roar. W, w fella, is for fella. water. They ain't got there. Ain't got there. Y is for the why. It doesn't rain. It wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold it, hold it. Wait a minute, fellas, hold it. Who wrote that? Nick Kenny? <laughs> 
<laughs> For heaven's sake, Don, that isn't what I had in mind at all. After all, we're going to New York, a hustling, bustling city. Let's have something fast and peppy. Well, uh, what would you suggest, Jack? There's so many things to sing about in New York. Broadway, Times Square, 42nd Street. All right, Jack. See you on the train. Come on, fellas. Don, you dropped your trunk. <laughs> oh, yes. Gee, it is curved. <laughs> well, so long, Jack. So long, Don. Now, Rochester, send for a cab. I'm going to pick Miss Livingston up on the way to the station. I know Phil is packed and Don is, but Dennis, hmm... I always have to worry about that kid. I wonder if he's finished packing yet. Oh, Mother, Mother, will you come in here, please? In a minute. Oh, just think. My son is preparing to go to New York. In a short time, he'll be 3,000 miles away from me. I don't want him to know how I feel. I better wipe this smile off of my face. <laughs> Coming? Now, Dennis, when you get on the train, the first thing you... Dennis, why are you lying up there on the mantelpiece? I'm practicing how to sleep in an upper berth. Upper berth? Well, Mother, if it's good enough for Mr. Benny, it's good enough for me. Mr. Benny sleeps in an upper berth? The same one. Yeah, the last time I shared one with him, I couldn't get any sleep at all. All night long, it was talk, 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 talk. Mr. Benny? No, his parrot. <laughs> his parrot? No wonder you were annoyed with all that talk. In Kansas City, I woke up with an egg in my hair. <laughs> what a man. Imagine you and Mr. Benny and a parrot in an upper berth. Oh, it was worse when he had his polar bear. <laughs> If Colgate would only start paying you, you could quit that gray-headed old schnook. No, Mother, I'd never quit, Mr. Benny. He made me what I am today. Uh, Dennis, let me ask you something. What are you today? I'm a very popular tenor. That's what I am. Well, if you're so popular, why are they making Phil Regan minister to Ireland? Because his mother came from there. Now, Dennis, you know what song you're going to sing for the New York show? Yeah, and I'll rehearse it tonight on the train when I'm in the upper berth. How can you rehearse in an upper berth? The orchestra's in the lower. <laughs> That's the first portion of the Jack Benny program. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of January, you can digitally download The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Volume 1, featuring 12 detective episodes starring Jeff Chandler. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Volume 1, is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during January at 50% off is Our Miss Brooks, Volume 1, starring Eve Arden in 12 comedy episodes. Our Miss Brooks Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download The New Adventures of Michael Shane Volume 1 and Our Miss Brooks Volume 1 at half price. In February, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during January. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. While you're there, download an episode of Suspense absolutely free as our gift to you. ClassicRadioStore.com 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, right here on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to the Jack Benny program from 1950. Then William Conrad stars as U.S. Marshal Matt Dillon on a terrific episode of Gunsmoke from 1956. You won't want to miss that. We'll see you all next time right here on Hollywood 360.